Dropped off the map Got lost by myself Ghosted my cap Sat on my shelf Hey guys, welcome back to Block Channel And we're back for episode 77 And as you've been listening for this past season You know, we've had discussions on DeFi uh, Creative outlets for um, uh, decentralized finances, liquidity, and how that uh, melds with NFTs. Uh, we've had more discussions uh, from other DeFi-related traders like Kevin Zhao in the previous episode. Uh, we've talked about the legality of things in crypto. So now as we move forward and we have all these interesting, mature, composable building blocks, not only in the Ethereum ecosystem, but in cryptocurrency ecosystem as a whole uh, with the emergence of things like Filecoin, we've had the release of Skynet's Layer 2, um, uh, uh, implementation. Uh, we've had, you know, our weave, as I mentioned earlier, and all these other sort of pieces that come together that will make up the greater decentralized web, i.e., like Handshake, decentralized DNS, da da da, Ethereum as kind of like the core, like, you know, compute unit here on this distributed world computer with many different loosely coupled, you know, modular public chains, like making up uh, the different functional layers. Um, so, like that being said, it made perfect sense. Uh, to have on uh, someone from the decentralized storage side. We actually had on Sean Wilkinson from storage way back. I feel like in like 2016 and like that conversation was, I mean, clearly very similar to a lot of discussions we have around like decentralized storage today and, and what will, uh, you know, what would the envision there was. Um, but now we actually have real use cases being deployed, real usage, like this this alternative internet is becoming a real thing. Uh, and David is a uh, Vorik of the Coin team is somebody that I really respect for just grinding, hustling, and just like really bringing his vision to fruition. So we had to have him on the show. Um, but before we get into David uh, and what Coin is working in, uh, let's talk to Dimitri uh, and Dr. Corey Petty. How are you guys doing? How are you feeling? Uh, I think we're just going to be discussing things with uh, Dr. Corey Petty today. Uh, Dimitri is going to be chilling in the background, learning and listening. Um, so you'll enjoy just to hear from the two of us. So how are you doing, Corey? I'm great, man. I've been following Sia for an extra long time, actually. I think I saw y'all. Y'all had started before this, but I originally saw y'all when we were at, I think it was like a token con during like devcon 2 or something like that i forget i don't know it's been a while y'all been around for a very long time grinding and i'm interested to finally have a conversation with you guys about kind of uh, differentiators and stuff so it's looking forward to it yep and uh so you know dimitri's in the background chilling he's going to be quiet listening here so let's get into david uh, david uh before we get into sea coin the the hard work that you guys have gotten make Doing any sort of comparing and contrasting. Let's let's speak to to you as a person first. So so David, uh, who are you, and how did you find your way into the crypto space? When was it, uh, and, and what's that experience been like up to this point? Yeah. Um, so first of all, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. And um, absolutely. To your question, um, I was introduced to Bitcoin um, in 2011. It was my freshman year of college uh, by a dorm mate. Uh, it was pretty simple as they just like poked their head in my door uh, while I was working. And they were like, David, you would like Bitcoin. And then they poked their head out and, and we didn't talk about it at all. I just uh, opened up Google and I'm like, what is Bitcoin? 
um, and my uh, my life changed. So basically, since since that day, I've spent almost all of my waking hours thinking about Bitcoin, working on Bitcoin related things, and then of course, uh, so up up to about 2014, most of my energy was like, um, you know, Bitcoin seems really uh, gimped. It seems like super inefficient. Like maybe there's a way we can do Bitcoin better. Um, and then in 2014, that kind of transitioned to, well, maybe instead of trying to make Bitcoin better, uh, we can do to the cloud what uh, Bitcoin did to banks. And so if you, if you can have a, a bank or sorry, if you can have money without a bank, maybe you can have a cloud without a cloud storage provider or a cloud provider. Um, and so that's that's really what um, what's been my focus since 2014. Um, and. As you mentioned, it's really starting to come to fruition is, is something I'm very excited about. So essentially, you came into the space really, really, really early, you know, got in, interested in the Bitcoin and then kind of immediately were like, OK, cool. Like, I see the use case for Bitcoin. That's dope. You probably look to experiment to try something interesting with Bitcoin, realize it wasn't capable of doing it and then jump headfirst into see a coin. Is, is, is that is that does that sound about right? It seems like that's usually the trope and like the, the narrative is. People come into Bitcoin, realize that it doesn't have certain functionality that they were probably maybe expecting, but also envision that it could have this and then working on implementing that. Yeah. And I mean, it took me probably three years, so it wasn't like a, like an overnight thing. Um, and I do also want to mention that I like uh, I have a huge amount of respect for Bitcoin. And I think it's a very impressive technology in many ways, um, but it's it's real focus is on like heavy decentralized sound money and it, it prioritizes that over everything else. Um, and so of course, uh, yeah, that leaves, that leaves a lot of breathing room um, for, you know, competing blockchains to pursue other niches. So uh, before we get really deep into the weeds of, you know, the semantic technical differences and things like that of, of what it is like you've architected, uh, maybe you can just give the audience, uh, anyone who isn't familiar with Sia, but might just be uh, really aware of what Filecoin is just because of just the word of mouth through the zeitgeist, right? G give us a quick high level view of uh, what Sia was seeking to accomplish and what its functionality has been up to the present day. Yeah, so originally we really just wanted to make uh, a decentralized Amazon S3. Um, and so the, the vision started out as just a storage play. Um, and we spent a long time working on that. A lot of people thought like decentralized Dropbox. Um, we had we had a big focus more on enterprise. Like we wanted we wanted companies to be building on top of Sia and running Sia nodes. Um, and you know, as the ecosystem as a whole matured, we we started to learn things like it's not really reasonable to expect people to run full nodes. Um, and and people. You know, we, we kind of already knew this, but we learned it uh, much more so, uh, especially around 2018, 2019. People value convenience over everything else. Um, and it was actually really late 2019, um, I, I guess approximately one year ago, um, that we had this idea for a new layer on top of SIA, um, which we eventually ended up calling Skynet. And so this, this enabled file sharing and turned into instead of being decentralized storage, it's actually an entire decentralized cloud and an entire uh, cloud ecosystem. So you can you can make applications like um, a web-based decentralized Dropbox or a web-based decentralized IRC or decentralized Imgur or decentralized Facebook. And so uh, 
we, we've kind of shifted directions a little bit in terms of what the platform is focused on. But I think this has been a huge benefit for the ecosystem because it's just so much easier to use. If you want to develop a Skynet application, you don't need to run a full node. You don't need to have side coins. It, you don't need to know uh, Go. You, you only need to know JavaScript. Um, and, and even for the most part, relatively basic JavaScript at that. Um, so that's that's kind of where we are today, and and I think what what's really world changing. In a, in a few words, and this will be very beneficial not only me but I believe the listeners as well. Let's speak to what is the functional proof of work Sybil mechanism in Sia Coin, and and what exactly is it securing? And beyond that, what is Skynet as a layer two enabling that the layer one um, hadn't and, and is adding additional extendability for? Yeah, so uh, science proof of work is very similar to Bitcoin. Um, it's a ASIC friendly hashing function. Um, our network is powered by ASICs or is, is secured by ASICs is what I should say. Um, and the core thing that we are protecting with the ASICs is uh, the file contract. Um, so it's a very specific smart contract that basically says, um, it's, it's a contract between a renter and a host. The renter puts money into the contract and the host puts money into the contract. Um, and then the contract says the host must store you know, X data for Y time. Um, and then that contract goes, so the money's locked up, the contract goes onto the blockchain. Um, and then after the time has elapsed, the host has to prove publicly that they are still storing the data. Um, so if the host provides this proof, they get all the money in the contract. And if the host fails to provide the proof, uh, the contract gets burned. Uh, all the all the money gets burned. So what these are. Any point, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So what about any point in between? Um, what how, how do you how do you provide data availability from the time between we started this thing to the time that you've ended it? Yeah, so in the middle, uh, we rely on incentives and reputation to do data availability, and essentially, oh, and, and redundancy. So you don't just give your data to one host, um, you give it to a whole bunch. Uh, and then when you fetch data, you pay them. Um, and so hosts are kind of in this open competition to try and get access to uh, bandwidth revenue. And so if a host is not serving content, uh, first of all, they're, they're losing out on a revenue opportunity, but second of all, um, the renters are going to gossip about the host and be like, oh, you know, this, this isn't a good host. They're not reliable. They're not fast. Um, and so that's, that's going to damage the host's ability to make money in the future. Um, but, uh, a very key element of this like storage proof, even though it doesn't, it doesn't provide data availability, it means at the very least the host is going through the effort of storing the data, like the host has to keep the data. Um, and so that means it's it's not much, that much bigger of a leap to keep the data plugged into a network, especially because you, you get paid anytime someone accesses the data. So this is essentially a covenant-based UTXO state where individuals are, um, uh, miners obviously securing the which is like this like fixed contract for like renewal agreements. Um, and then I would imagine that the layer two technology that you've built is very similar or reminiscent of like lightning. And you're just like extending those formal commitments into like a layer two in order to like pass those additional like states. Like, can you, can you give me more insights there? Yeah. So actually, um, 
so the layer two kind of connects into the file contracts, but the real um, innovation of Skynet is that it allows anybody to look up uh, any data on the network. So if you know the hash of data on the Sci network, um, you can query the network and retrieve that data. Um, and before Skynet, this wasn't something we knew how to do. So the the real um, power behind Skynet is that we opened up file sharing. And again, but before Skynet, um, Sci was all about personal storage. You would you would back it up onto the Sci uh, network, and then okay, okay. only you could access that data. Awesome. Okay, so then now, so it was like cool. We have this. Um, you know, set fixed storage contract layer. It's users. It's not. It's not. Peer, it's peer to peer in the sense that I'm going to find a host somewhere that's going to like pin and store my information. And then Skynet was like, "Cool, we're going to have a way to query that full blockchain state, look at it up at any time, and then like peer to peer may be able to make like decisions on like storing and then sharing that hash, so that other individuals can then download it." Exactly, um, and that has ended up being uh, just the world of difference in terms of what people can do at the platform. It's it's really huge. Got it. Okay. I, got, I think I got the functional pieces down now. This is perfect. Okay. So now that we have that understood, can we can we talk about um, very briefly how that differs from the core layer one functionality of, uh, of Filecoin? And then from there, we will go into kind of like what it is you guys are building that is either semantically different or is, is similar in many respects. Yeah, so I think fundamentally Filecoin is trying to do something similar. Um, Skynet is definitely much more focused around web applications, which I think is something that Filecoin is, and it's not that they're not focused on web applications, but I think Filecoin right now is more, more fixated on the storage elements um, and kind of what we've been doing since 2015. Um, and uh, the other thing that so we've we've played around with Filecoin a little bit, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna give the our experience um, and the specs that we were able to get out of the system. And, yes, you know, of course, of course. The Filecoin devs may disagree, um, so I'm I'm not claiming this is what you'll get. But what we saw is that the Filecoin network, first of all, it has no redundancy at the moment. Um, everything's just single replicated onto one host, so it's it's fragile. And second of all, upload speeds were about six megabits per second. Uh, so what this means is that if you want to upload the 3x redundant data, which is what SIA does, um, to the Filecoin network, you're going to have to manage the redundancy yourself, whereas SIA will manage it for you. Um, and then more importantly, if you want to upload one terabyte, it's going to take you about 45 days. And during those 45 days, you're going to need a very expensive, we had a 16 core CPU, 32 gigabytes of RAM um, and an SSD. And all of those things were maxed out uh, for the whole period that we were uploading. So just the, the electricity cost and the hardware deprecation cost of uploading data to the Filecoin network comes out to like 75 to $100 per terabyte. Um, so just in, in our view, ba based on what we were seeing and, and what our, the specs our community was getting out of Filecoin, I feel like they are, um, very much not yet at a place where it's really viable. Um, and, and to compare what takes 45 days on the Filecoin network takes about eight hours on the Sci network. 
um, your CPU will be going pretty strong, but uh, yeah, the total the total like electricity cost of running a CPU for eight hours is just not comparable to forty five days. Excellent. Okay. No this this has been this has been very enlightening thus far. So so clearly you've done your benchmarks. You've made the comparison between like the two ecosystems. How do you feel about um, just like chain agnosticism and really tying yourself into the various different development communities, right? Because most of the things that are going to be most beneficial um, as far as like liveness and accessibility on CR are going to be like, you know, project related like front ends, right? So normal CSS, HTML, JS code somewhere hosted, which is honestly like not really too much um, for a system, you know, like, like, like CIA and stuff. So like what what is the core initial use cases that you think for developers um, that they're going to get most excited about? Do you think it's just going to be with like website front ends? Like what, what do you think uh, or what have you seen as like the most uh, exciting use cases coming out of the gate for SIA? Yeah. So up until about two weeks ago, uh, I'll come back to that. Um, you're right. It was mostly static websites, um, you know, blogs, personal mm -hmm. web pages, um, DeFi front ends. Uh, and that was that was really the core use case. A little bit of file sharing, but uh, surprisingly, not even that much file sharing going on on Skynet, uh, which is we had predicted it would be a lot of file sharing use. Uh, but then two weeks ago, we released um, a what what I will uh, happily describe as probably the most important technology we will ever release. Um, that it's kind of the culmination of our team's efforts, and I think everything that we do after that is just supporting and augmenting um, a technology called SkyDB. And so what this does is it allows people to upload mutable files. Um, and so rather than sharing pointers to static content, you can share pointers to dynamic content. Um, and this allows, this opens up the entire world of social media. And we're, we're already seeing developers jump on to Skynet um, and building, in, and again, it's, it's just been two weeks, and we've had uh, we've had someone build a decentralized version of IRC, and we've had someone build um, decentralized identity on top of Skynet. Um, and so I think that this this is going to kick off very hard, and and for the most part, we're going to start to see things like you know, decentralized Spotify, decentralized Snapchat, decentralized Twitch. Um, and that's that's really going to be the core focus, likely, of Skynet and Web3 over the next six to 12 months. Could you elaborate a little bit about that? That's that's I'm, I'm quite interested in that, but I'm also interested in um, because everything's abstracted away from the end user, like it feels just like a regular storage solution to them or a cloud service provider to them. Um, can you talk a little about how that works? How your, like, what's the mechanism behind providing pointers to dynamic material and what kind of security benefits do you get in the process of doing that? Or like, why would you want to do it in a decentralized manner? Because like ultimately like centralized solutions have their benefits in terms of speed and control and so forth. So what are you gaining by doing this in a decentralized manner? And how does something like, like pointers to dynamic contact work uh, when, I think everyone's intuition around distributed storage is you chunk up hash and you have like a Kademlia based service that looks up what a hash is. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, so th this is kind of the most exciting part is that on Skynet, um, data is no longer controlled by a central service. It's, it's controlled by each individual user. And this has a lot of security benefits 
but I think the, the most significant benefit actually comes from app composability. Um, so to like use an example, uh, today we have uh, two technologies, Twitch and YouTube. Um, and all the data related to Twitch and all the data related to YouTube is, is locked onto those respective platforms. It's completely inaccessible. So if you, if you have an idea of how to make a better YouTube, or let's say like you don't like the Twitch, uh, the, the algorithm um, that they use to build your feed, there's nothing you can do about it as a third-party developer. You don't have access to the data. You don't have access to the user accounts. You can launch a better Twitch and you're going to launch a product with zero users and zero tweets and, and zero history. Um, and so you have to go through this whole flywheel process and this enormous like, and, and, and you know, we have tools in society for doing it, but it's this very expensive, like massive venture capital effort that enables Twitch competitors, uh, sorry, Twitter, Twitter competitors, Twitch as well, of course. Um, on Skynet, all of this data is user owned, which means if you have an idea for how to make a better Twitch, uh, a better Twitter, um, you can code it up and launch it and give it to users. And if you have 10 users, those users have access to the full Twitter ecosystem. And so they see all of their friends' tweets, they see the full history, they're in a dynamic ecosystem. And, and so we get to shortcut that process of rebuilding the flywheel um, and rebuilding an entire network. And so that's the first element that I think is really going to make Skynet just utterly dominant against the centralized world. And then, and then the second component is that it actually enables an enormous amount of composability because you don't have to just make a Twitter application. Uh, you can make an application that combines elements of data from YouTube and Twitter and injure. And so if you know all these like data spheres that exist, it's it's all open access. And so developers can build whatever system they want with the data that's in Skynet because it's it's all available to everyone. And so that that I think is where that's why I've I've started to say Skynet's going to win. Uh, before it wasn't clear that SIO was inevitable. But now that we have Skynet and we can see just how much power it puts in the hands of developers. That's that's where we're going to win. Well, 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 that's an interesting point you make there. So let me let me attempt to just tackle that just a little bit and maybe give you some pushback on your points there. I do agree with you that the means in which you've architected this is, you know, probably more ideal compared to most other things. But let's 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 talk about one, you know, the, the issues that we've talked about on Twitter back and forth when it was, uh, you know, in relation to like pedigree and just the general zeitgeist and then like experience accepting SIA, Skynet, and this general ecosystem as the one that developers are going to end up wanting, right? So inevitably what we want when we build any network effect, any decentralized public blockchain is we want to garner a network effect that is like sticky. And in order to do that, we need composability when we have trying to have like generalized blockchain use cases, things like decentralized storage. So the thing we want to worry about most is where do we get the most composability the fastest where people want to onboard their network graphs the, the, the soonest, whether it's from like a developer standpoint or from a consumer user century standpoint. So for you guys, you know, you guys recently got an, an investment with, I believe, like either was it Skynet Labs or Skynet from like Paradigm and such that. And so, um, you know, one, what are you guys seeking to do with those sort of partnership investment and funds, given you guys have bootstrapped to date, you know, using the assets currency, but also how do you seek to 
garner these developer network effects around SIA that will guarantee your success, right? Because like you can build a beautiful, beautiful, you know, uh, piece of technology, um, and, and ultimately the ultimate failure is no one used it, or the or the speculative um, uh, uh, learning curve was too high, or the technical learning curve was too high, or the ecosystem lock-in um, barriers to entry were, were, were too were, were too abundant. Like, how do you guys are planning to? Now that you have this working technology, use funds, use your expertise, and garner a network effect around this, aside from just saying people are going to use it and store things, like how do you get that progress started? Yeah, so uh, a fun data point is that for the past three months straight, um, Skynet has been growing by about 15% per week. Um, so we've had this enormous, I think almost 8x growth in, in the period of three months. Um, and it really comes down to just how easy the platform is to use for developers and, and the fact that it allows developers to do things that were never possible before. And so at least for the next year, what we're really focused on is those developers who are, who are flocking in to the Skynet platform and figuring out what they're most excited about, what they need the most and making sure that they have access to build uh, exactly what's in their imagination. Um, and so I agree that at, at some point it's going to be important to look at composability and to like, uh, you know, figure out how to get all the rest of the world onto the platform. But in this early, very early stage where Skynet's at, again, SkyDB, our, our, what I would say is our flagship technology is just mm -hmm. two weeks old. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, it's most important to be focused on those early adopters that have all that passion and energy. And so we're, yeah, we're really focused on, on that core group, um, probably for the next six to 12 months. And how, uh, how was the funding from, uh, like paradigm? How does this tie into that? Like, how do you guys plan on, you know, kind of growing your network effect now that you have like, you know, additional funding, you're not just bootstrapping. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so the funding is, is mostly going towards uh, developer salaries and we we're hiring some marketing people. So something uh, that a lot of people know about size that we've, we've never had a marketing team uh, that's changed. Uh, so we, we recently sent out a, um, an offer letter to a full-time marketing person um, and really a, a growth person. Um, and then uh, we've also, we've also, uh, pulled in things like developer evangelists who can who can spell spend a significant amount of time within the ecosystem um, ad, advancing the needs of our developer community. So uh, the energy from and again we raise we raise about three million dollars. Um, so we are we are still uh, extremely underfunded relative to I think at one point storage was reported to have about eighty million dollars. Uh, Filecoin has like five hundred million plus. Arweave must have somewhere similar. Yeah, our weave's got I think twenty to thirty, um, and so we're we're sitting on and you know the fundraising was a while ago, so significantly less than three million dollars, um, and so. But you got a lot more heart, David. Yeah. <laughs> you got you got a lot more heart, <laughs> a lot more hustle, a lot more finesse in the implementation, and the fact that you are a core crypto native of these technologies and understand why they're architected in the means in which they are, right? And there's probably still a lot of lessons learned from ROE, from Filecoin that they're going to need to pick up, and ultimately a lot of their solution and architecture might end up over time looking a lot more like Sia. Um, you know, if, if what it is like you guys are building is is you know substantial as, as it may seem. So uh, that being said. 
um, like what uh, will SIA do uh, in the short term as far as you know working with other functional stacks of the decentralized web, right? Like so clearly you've got your storage layer, layer you've got your compute layer, you've got your naming layer. Like what what is your uh, ideal tech stack for the decentralized future? Yeah, um, so you may know, but we have an integration with Handshake. Um, so we're working with Handshake for the naming layer, and that's that's allowing people to put uh, human readable names on top of their applications um, and, and on top of their profiles, right, as they start to make identities. Um, beyond that, we're really looking at other um, promising, exciting communities. For, for example, uh, we believe that we can solve a significant issue for DeFi, which, which is the centralization of the DeFi front end. So we're working with uh, Ethereum projects, the best of our ability, um, to get them onto, to get you know, their financial applications onto Skynet. And of course, as you kind of start to open, open the wings a little bit, um, you know, if you, Skynet is, is basically purely social media. Um, and so if you start to mix in things like DeFi, Maybe you can start to get uh, like personal tokens, or or like uh, if if someone spins up you know a, a Twitter Plus, maybe there's some some investment element involved in that. Um, and we're also you know keeping a very close eye on technologies like Starks uh, because we think that that there are some very interesting uh, applications uh, with regards to both privacy and scalability that may arise from. Uh, combining Skynet with Starks. So um, our general strategy for interacting with other other communities, um, and like another example is, is Ceramic, is, is that we host hackathons where we combine the communities together. And that's really how the, how the partnership between uh, Handshake and Skynet kicked off, was we, we hosted a joint hackathon um, where the Sci community, the Skynet community, and the Handshake community were working together to make the most interesting apps that they could. Um, and, and that has, I think that was very successful. It brought a lot of devs from either side into the other community. And now just as a whole, I think both communities are much more well-rounded in, in the types of things that they can do. So going forward, we're looking for more opportunities to do uh, joint hackathons. And, and specifically, I think a joint hackathon should be one-on-one -on -one, uh, because you want developers to have a small number of things to focus on. So if you're really familiar with Skynet, and then I do a joint hackathon where I throw at you 10 more technologies, um, it's not going to be focused. The other hackers that you're familiar with, they're, they're, they might be choosing different technologies, and, and it's kind of uh, more chaotic and I think not as beneficial. Whereas if you, if you just have a two-technology hackathon, um, it really allows the communities to sink their teeth into each other, and you, you get a much more focused outcome. And so that's, that's really our, our, um, our outreach strategy at the moment. It definitely seems to me like you're, you're probably falling on the side of just like the app specific blockchain thesis, as long as it's semantically, technically sensible and worthwhile that, you know, having these different joint modular, loosely coupled communities working together probably has a net positive for the ecosystem more than everyone saying, trying to build everything on Ethereum. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, especially, and, and, you know, this thesis may change over time, but right now, um, you know, a huge advantage of having application-specific blockchains is scalability. Um, when, when there's, you know, like, the, the yield farming craze that drove bees to insane levels, 
Um, if Skynet had been based on Ethereum at that point, we would have had, you know, a, an entire dry spell where nobody could do anything, um, just because the the reason that people use Skynet is does not justify spending, you know, fifty to hundred dollars on fees. You you just have mm -hmm. to freeze. But because we're on our own chain, um, flurries of activity that that happen elsewhere don't impact our own pricing schemes. And so that means we really we really get to be ourselves and, and we really get to ride through the storm at, at full strength, uh, which I think is exactly what you want. Based on that, based on that available like scalability, it's scalability within within SIA. So uh, can you foresee any scenarios that happen with like a surge in popularity in one parameter of, of SIA that affects the rest of the ecosystem, like we've seen in certain times in Ethereum, right? Where like, like you just said, you know, DeFi and these yield farming, yield farming uh, initiatives have basically crippled a lot of the other use cases in a lot of ways. Do you, can that even happen? Yes, yeah, for instance, yeah, I, I want to piggyback on that. For instance, uh, you know, uh, coin Skynet as Fazin finds an explosive use case, some smart person, you know, snaps together some cool web app, or web app or whatever, that's like this photo sharing, like whatever, it blows up. And now you've got like heap tons of data being like pushed and like needing to be like sealed and stored uh, and all that stuff like on chain all at once. And it's like you basically being a victim of like your own success. Like, do you think that if, you know, see I had like a breakout application tomorrow that it would be able to or would run into the same functional congestion related issues that Ethereum does with gas? Yes, yeah, so that's a good question. And the good news is that the fundamental architecture of SIA is not um, it's not data constrained. Um, so we use a very, very scalable data model, um, which which basically means uh, the file contracts stay roughly the same size as the amount of data on them increases. So if if we needed to thousand X the amount of data on the SIA network, that's actually relatively easy so long as it's on roughly the same number of hosts. Um, mm -hmm. Where we start mm -hmm. to run into scalability challenges is if we have, you know, say like a hundred thousand hosts jump onto the network. Um, that that's something that we would start to struggle with. But for the most part, um, the way that we've structured the usage patterns on the network. Um, an application suddenly going from 10,000 users to a million users, as long as most of those users are going through uh, portals, that doesn't impact the blockchain very much. Um, and so it, that allows us to scale much more freely. Um, and again, each portal consumes a, a fair amount of blockchain space. So if we get to a point where there are more than around 10,000 portals on the network, um, we might you know, those, those portals will have to start to compete with each other and, and there will be a fee market and they will, some, some will outbid the others. Um, but until we're, until we're hitting those sorts of constraints, it, scalability is not something we really have to worry about at the blockchain layer. Hmm. Well, uh, that being said, uh, what, uh, what's one of your most interesting apps on, you know, uh, is it, am I, am, do I sound dumb when I say, is it Sia coin or Sia coin? Okay. Sia coin. Okay. Uh, Going for it, I'll get that right. So, Sia I've been coin. saying Sia for, for years, yeah, literally for like five so years. <laughs> so, so, so now that we know that, what, what's what's your most exciting use case that you've seen uh, on Sia coin thus far? Yeah, uh, so my personal favorite is an image gallery uh, called Sky Gallery. It's a um, it allows you to make uh, imager style 
galleries of images that you can share with people. Um, and then the galleries can link to each other. So if you want to make this like, um, you know, rich ecosystem of like galleries, uh, that's some, something you can build and share around. Um, so I'm pretty excited for that use case. I think um, something that the community is really excited about this week is an app called Sky Message, which is a decentralized IRC uh, with a little bit more work, it may turn into a fully decentralized Discord. So I think a lot of a lot of the hope behind Sky Message is that you know maybe it or something like it could eventually replace Discord, and instead of you know sending all these chat messages through centralized uh, portals uh, or cent you know centralized applications, we can we can fully decentralize that process. Um, and so th those are the two things, and, and both of these things are fully implemented, deployed. It works today. Um, on top of the Skynet network. I've got um, maybe technical one. Let's see. So like when we first started this interview, you had mentioned that Bitcoin had done this thing for kind of sound money and financial markets, but it kind of limited itself to that use case and that kind of left the green field open for uh, a lot of other things, which we've all tried to explore, as I included. But what's interesting about um, the differentiation here is that like Bitcoin is replacing something that's relatively slow. Uh, and so the constraints that a proof of work blockchain puts on the speed in which you can do things uh, is fast compared to the system it's replacing. Uh, in the cases of decentralized application development and storage, that's not always necessarily the case. How is your system compared to centralized storage and cloud uh, cloud providers in terms of like availability and latency and speed in which you need to do stuff. Is there a limit to which um, an end user application uh, feels this latency? Like, is, is there things you just shouldn't build on a decentralized platform like this or, or are there ways of getting around it? Yeah. So that that's, um, you know, kind of been the crux of my life over the past five years is, is in 2014, we asked ourselves, you know, could, could we, design an architecture that is capable of going as fast as the cloud. Um, and we came back with the answer that yes, it's possible. And so every decision that we made in building SIA originally, we made sure that we made it in mind with like, is this decision going to stop us from being faster than Akamai or faster than, than Cloudflare or Cloudfront? Um, and if the answer was yes, this, this might one day make it difficult for us to compete on speed, uh, we we rejected that decision just full stop would not would not make that uh, choice and then uh, the gap between the architecture that we had and, and where we got today was just uh, an incredible amount of engineering um, and so we we have you know over the past five years done probably thousands to tens of thousands of commits worth of optimizing various parts of the network stack and the and the programming stack and the and the encryption stack. And, um, and so today, uh, we're not faster than Akamai, but we are fast enough that you can do real-time chat on Skynet, and it feels comparable to how fast Discord is. Um, so I would say that, you know, for the purposes of the end user, you can build things on Skynet today that feel real-time for the user. And, and that kind of means that yeah, it's it's fast enough that it that it can replace the centralized web without people feeling like they've lost a speedy internet. 
where's the trade-off? I feel like there has to be a trade-off here. Yeah, I mean, the, the trade-off is in the unreasonable amount of engineering we've had to do to get it going. <laughs> so I guess uh, to, to like really kind of close things out strong here, like, you know, you went one way with your launch and your chain and iterated to this point, you know, and you found success this way. Other people are going to go another way. If you had to change anything with how Sciacoin has emerged today and how it kind of just evolved, what would you have changed materially through your process and why? And I think it'll be very useful to many developers that might be listening. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I... <laughs> I wish that we had paid more attention to IPFS a lot faster. Um, I think we wrote it off in 2014, um, and which a lot of people didn't. A lot of people were very excited, and we just we didn't find we didn't understand why IPFS was exciting. And uh, Skynet came about as uh, just repeatedly asking ourselves, how can we do what IPFS does, but on top of SIA? Um, and if we had been asking ourselves that question, you know, as early as 2016, uh, I think, you know, the, the fundamental idea behind Skynet is one that we reasonably could have had in 2016, if only we'd been asking the right question. So uh, kind of in hindsight, I, I do wish we had paid more attention to IPFS sooner, because uh, I think we would have arrived at Skynet sooner. But uh, Nonetheless, we're, we're here today and, and we're fast enough that I would call us first to market. Um, and I, I think that's very exciting. Excellent. No, that's, 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 that's great insights. So, you know, it seems to me as if you guys are, or how I look at it from a mental model standpoint is we have all these different decentralized storage solutions, much like, um, like Western Digital, Seagate, et cetera. And everyone has their own different beneficial economies of scales. Uh, you know, they have different uh, levels of maturity when it comes to different pieces of tech stack libraries, implementation, yada, yada, yada. And ultimately, I think right now, based off of this conversation and, you know, intuition from, you know, other prior research that it's way too early to tell who ultimately is going to be the big winner. And I don't, I don't ultimately think that just pure storage capacity on a network, but just by sheer numbers doesn't necessarily tell the whole story of what is possible and who ultimately is going to be most beneficial to the, the end developers and then ultimately end users. So you know, I look forward uh, to continue to keep an eye on this like variable growth. And I, I like to think of it as a, you know, co-opetition amongst like, you know, everyone else in the decentralized storage space because it's only going to change. And as someone who's deep in the handshake space with Handy Miner and Handy Browser, uh, you know, I, I'm completely agnostic to what goes down. I welcome all new friends into the decentralized storage space. Um, and, you know, I hope that you are uh, and all your buddies adopt our namespace uh, on the handshake side. Um, so, you know, that being said, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, uh, we really appreciate your insight. Glad to be able to speak to like kind of like the main man who's been there, um, you know, since the beginning. So I could really get a, a hold on uh, you know, kind of what you've built. I met you in person, knew you're a really sharp guy, uh, hanging out with the name based people. Um, so, you know, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, when you guys have grown and expand, maybe in like a year, year and a half-ish, and you know, you have some really cool applications out there and you know, you're hitting the mainstream, come on back and we can all laugh about how hard this was. Sounds good, looking forward to it. Uh, thank, thank you for having me on the show. Hey guys, I'll make this real quick. Just wanna make sure you check out the link to the sponsor in the show notes, Van Moof. That's spelled V-A-N-M as in Martin, O-O-F.com. Uh, and they are an e-bike company out of Berlin, Germany. And they are um, providing us a bike 
uh, for us to test and use here uh, at Block Channel. And I've been a huge fan of their premium bike, and I think e-mobility is going to be a large sector growing and going forward as the world becomes, you know, more decentralized, more mobile, more distributed. Uh, you know, medium range, like extended vehicles and things of that nature, are definitely going to grow uh, in, def in different forms and factors. Uh, so, huge fan of Van Move here at the Block Channel, and want to make sure you guys check that out. Dropped off the map, dropped off the map Got lost by myself, got lost by myself Posted my cat